welcome to the Readings Podcast. Uh, my name's Nina and I'm here with my colleague, Christine Gordon. Hello. And, and today we're lucky enough to chat to Hanya Yanagihara. Hi. Hi, Hanya, who is the author of one of last year's most talked about novels, A Little Life. Uh, which was a National Book Award finalist and shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize. It's over over 700 pages long and it follows the story of four friends, Jude, Willem, JB and Malcolm, living in New York. But it, at its heart, the story is about Jude and the trauma he endures throughout his life and the impact that has on his friends and family. So welcome, Hanya. Thank you we so much for having me. feel very lucky to be able to talk to you about this book, this book that made both Chris and I very Wait. devastated. Weep. I, I actually got crying headaches reading this novel. Oh, God, thank you. I mean, <laughs> There was one part in the novel when the car accident happened and I actually had to put your novel down and what I do what I call a blocky and just go mm. outside, get some fresh air, mm. clear my head, regain my composure and then come back. I should have, say... Have other people done that? Have other people said this to you when they've been reading your book? I, I mean, you know, yes and no. I mean, it, the... The funny thing about this book and its reception is that I, you know, I, I don't have a lot of readers. I have one reader. And um, so he didn't, he wasn't that emotionally, um, uh, it's not that he was devastated by it. And nor is my editor and nor is my agent. And so I think Cold. all of us were, apparently, <laughs> apparently, apparently. So I think all of us have been um, gratified and, and also, I think, surprised um, by the great emotion with which people have read this book and and I've been so honored by how deeply people have engaged with it. I mean, you can't really hope for anything else than that. And um you can't control anything else beyond that. And so it's been it's been uh, enormously gratifying for me. And so what made you want to write this book? Can you tell us a little bit about the process of writing it? Did you do a lot of research or did um, you just sit down and it all kind of came pouring out? Well, I I did have a lot of it planned, you know. So the actual writing of it was very you know, 18 months. It was a very compressed, intense period. Um, but I had probably been thinking about it for five years or so prior. Okay. And, you know, I wanted to write, I knew I wanted to book, write a book about friendship, about male friendship. Mm. I wanted to write a book about a character who never got better. I wanted to write a character about sort other kinds of love than the kinds that are typically recognized in art. And um, I wanted to write um, a book about New York that was less a physical study of New York and more a psychological profile of it. Fascinating. Mm. Can we go back to the male friendship part? Mm. So this sort of, the little life has a lot of, um, the male friendships in it is something I haven't really seen before in a lot of fiction and especially how the friendship between Willem and Jude evolves into a relationship. And I was just wondering if you, what do you think the book says about male friendships and masculinity and? Um, well, I mean, I think it, I'll just stick to male friendships for a minute, but I'll, I'll say that I think that this idea of the male friendship as not being a centerpiece of fiction or the letters in general is a relatively new phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, if we look at, you know, Coleridge, if we look at Wordsworth, if we look at Lincoln, if we look at Whitman, it, all of their work was about male friendship and, and male friendship in many different iterations, but the intimacy of, of male friendship and male relations. And um, so, and it's fallen out of favor in in fiction as of late for, for various mm -hmm. reasons. And so I, I knew I wanted to write something that celebrated the tenderness of of male love and um, and in Jude and Willem's relationship create something that was romantic without necessarily being sexual. Mm. You know what I loved about it? I loved that he was so good looking. <laughs> Jude or Willem or Jude. both? 
was so good looking that everyone, all the others kept referring back mm. to the, to just his beauty. Well, actually, that's interesting because someone asked me that in Sydney yeah. last week and they said, why um, did so many people find him attractive? And it's, I didn't think of him as particularly um, conventionally handsome. I think no, that they well, loved him. he was him. damaged. I think they loved him because they thought he was attractive because they loved him. They didn't love him because they thought he was attractive. And did you have a very vivid picture in yes, your mind of what very, he looks like? very. But I didn't want to direct the reader too okay. much. And so I really tried. There's a few dropped hints, but in general, there's relatively little description. Um, and most of the description you get is from him. And so it's it's, you can... He is meant to be a reliable narrator, but he's not always meant to be trustworthy about himself. Oh, I'd say that was humanity, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and did you, you said you'd come back to masculinity and, and did you want to touch on that sort of what you think the book has to say about masculinity? And Well, I just think that, you know, as when men are allowed um, uh, access and certainly the, the privilege of speaking about certain emotions in a way that women are not you know i mean men mm. we certainly don't encourage boys or men to discuss fear or shame or embarrassment or vulnerability because those things are bound up in what we think of as maleness yeah. for better and for worse and there are historic reasons that are unfortunate that that make this true women can discuss how you know we are fearful or or ashamed or vulnerable because through much of history we have been um, and it is it is part of society to keep us so in a lot of ways, but but for men to do it um, is, uh, is is pretty much forbidden. And so I think it's interesting when you're working with characters who are limited by some way by society, how they find ways to express what is inexpressible, even if it takes them a longer way, and even if it's a more torturous path, and even when um, it's it's much more difficult for them to do. And. There are no women, hard or hardly any women in the book. Was that a deliberate choice or just something that naturally came about as you were writing? It? No, it was a it was a deliberate choice. And I love when people say to me, "Have you noticed there are no women in the book?" <laughs> um, I had, and uh, they're, they're implied. They're implied rather than than spoken. And there are a couple of reasons for that. A, you know, the book is very artificial in a lot of ways. There are no women. Yeah. There's many conventions from fairy tales. There's no time. Mm-hmm. That most of the action takes place indoors instead of outside. Um, there's no history in history, it. History, that was another you know, there, there, there's, yeah. there's a great scrubbing of many things that you'd expect to find in, um, if this were truly a contemporary naturalistic novel, you'd have all of those things, but this novel isn't quite that. Uh, so the one reason I want, the one reason I want to do that was simply because it is supposed to be in a concentrated way about this group of men and how men speak to one another and how they interact with one another. So that was the first thing. And the second thing is, you know, men are simply, I mean, women are simply not as much of not as much interest to Jude because he doesn't fear them. Mm. So I'm interested in what sort of research you had to do, like to, to get the voices of these males. Were you hanging around in, in sort of men's bars or I know that your closest friend is a, is a male. Yes. Did you sort of make sure that you had dinner parties? And it, it wasn't even it? that conscious, but, you know, I did go to a female college and then I, yeah, right. I went into book publishing, which is largely female dominated. Yeah, and really so is. sort of between the ages of, you know, 17 and 25, I really wasn't around men. So when I was around them, I was struck by sort of patterns of behavior and um, and ways of speaking, you know, what wasn't expressed, how sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you there was in, in, I remember I had these two friends in high school, and they were very, very close. It was two, two, two uh, males. 
And you could tell they really loved each other, but they really weren't able to say within the boundaries of an American high school, I love you. And so every now and again, they would, we all worked in the school newspaper together and we had a dedicated office. And every once in a while, they would just jump on each other oh, and start wrestling. And you understood that it was an excess of energy, mm. and but it also was a sort of affection. It was the way that, you know, when you see two puppies or kittens tussling with each other, that it's, you know, it's a blowing off of steam, but you it's also a way of expressing love. And I was fascinated by that. Mm. And then there there are these sort of um, patterns of, of behavior that you see among young men um, that I found fascinating and wanted to memorialize in a sense. You see a lot of that on the sports field, don't you, where these, mm, yeah. these blokes just have to, they just sort of have to hit each other. Right, right, yeah. right. In the absence of hugging or, or kissing or, yeah. or, um, or sort of more tender forms of affection. Yeah, just verbal communication. Right, right, and that, and <laughs> yeah. that, yeah. And was it always the plan for you that the relationship between Jude and Willem would turn romantic or was that something you came to in the writing no, process? No, everything in the plot I pretty much knew plan. before I started, okay. yeah. Yeah. And with the chapters that are first person from Harold's point of view, right. what was the thinking behind that? Well, you know, I, I, the, the narrative breaks at three points and Harold comes in in first person, who's Jude's adoptive father. And they, he comes in after three very difficult periods of the mm. book. And it's, a, it's partly to give the reader time to think about what has happened, but also because everything, although the book is sort of, and it's told in a third person omniscience. I meant it to be a warm omniscience, but most mm -hmm. of how everyone relates is a through and about and around Jude. And it's possible in certain parts to start falling out of perspective um, because you only hear his voice and you only hear information that's filtered through or around him. And so Harold is the only time that you get to hear someone um, who is not speaking for Jude or trying to guess at him but rather talking about his own experiences with Jude. And so I thought it was just enough of a different perspective that it it um, it maybe made the reader pause and think a little bit. We needed some respite. Mm, I think to, so. To be honest, we needed some respite because at this point, everyone in Jude's life, with the exception of his friends, seemed to be doing him terrible injustice. And then finally this older man came along and said, I'm going to just take you the way that you are. I'm not going to try and change you. I have no expectations of you. Well, it's true. But arguably, you know, my reader thought that, you know, all of Jude's friends and Andy in various ways failed him massively, yeah, right. you know. Mm. But, you know, Willem pretending that things would go mm. the way he wanted them to go. By Harold sort of not realizing until too late that the the sort of how troubled Jude was and how mm, damaged mm. he was and how much he still needed parenting. Well, he um, hadn't had any parents. And, right, right. And I think that, you know, I mean, the book is also about, it's a fantasy in and of itself, but it's a fantasy about how the fantasies we create about other people in our lives can be punishing and dangerous too. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I loved those sections where William Willem was... He knew that there was more to right. Jude's past, but he would always, and he knew he was just turning away. And right. even as they got closer and closer, he still wanted to just avoid it, right. avoid it, avoid right. it. Right. Um, Which is dangerous. Was, yeah. Yes, but something yeah. that does happen. And I thought yes. it was really, yeah, that's really true. It beautiful does. and powerful how you. Oh, thank about you. That. Thank you. In some ways, it's such a, a long list of all these brutalities that have happened to this character. 
And in there seems to be in some ways, and perhaps a bit of a trend that's happening at the moment, where there's very little humour mm. all the way through it. Mm. The most beautiful of writing, mm. but little humour. Was that on purpose that you thought, I am not ever going to make light? No, you know, I thought JB life. was funny and he has some yeah. good lines, I think. And he is, he does provide some levity. Um, but the book is, is you know, no, it's not about humor. It's about, it's about other things. Yeah. Um, but it's not a particularly light book, except <laughs> in the beginning. I think in the very first part, <laughs> yes, it is. The, the great the, understatement yeah, of yeah. it. It's not a light right. book. But in the first part, it is, I hope. It is. Yeah. 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 And then all of a sudden, You're right, oof, right, yeah. I'm right, in the darkest right, place. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> Those right. hotel room scenes, they're very dark. Very dark. Okay. But it's interesting that, you know, what you said, Chris, about um, about sort of the lack of levity in fiction these days. And I, I know what you mean. I think you, you are right. I mean, I think a lot of fiction is a little chilly and a little removed. Yeah, yeah. But I do think that there's a difference between, I, I suppose, there's there's lack of humor in a lot of fiction. But then there's also, I think, a removal of of intense emotions in general, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's... Um, whether it's it's so that's interesting deep actually shame or deep love or deep hatred, it's it's a little removed and a little floating above mm. the earth in a lot of senses. So what's happening to us? Are we now just being too frightened? Are we all becoming so mediocre that we don't want to experience those extreme? Well, I don't you know. I'm gonna. There's a there's a wonderful line from David Foster Wallace. I'm gonna totally bungle it, but <laughs> the it, the spirit of it is that the the hardest thing to do in fiction is to do the kind of fiction is to make the kind of fiction that makes people say that's so banal that's so sentimental that's so emotional mm-hmm. and the trend in modern fiction and in modernist fiction is towards something that is more removed it's mm-hmm. it's more yeah. remote it's more um it's more meta in its, it in its delivery it and tone and the kind of fiction that this book is 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 old fashioned it went out a while ago it's operatic. It's um, it it's is melo- operatic. Mm. I love that. It's word. melodramatic, mm. and yeah. and we don't see a lot of fiction like that yeah. anymore. I reckon you're going to start the wave. <laughs> I reckon the wave is coming. I don't know that I want to continue riding the wave, but oh, I did oh. for this book mm. in particular. You you said before it, you see it as a fantasy, and I read in a a previous interview that you said you were inspired by Philip Pullman's Dark Materials trilogy. Yeah, can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I was specifically inspired by it because um you know the new york of this book is uh is a sort of recognizable new york but not really it's stripped of its history it's stripped Mm. of most of its landmarks it's stripped of its social movements it's stripped of its current events it's stripped of its politics and one of the things that inspired it was um philip pullman's oxford in the golden Um, compass how it's an oxford that's ours but not quite and he was able to take something that we all um know and understand um, and have an idea of in the popular imagination and just twist it a little bit and and really force the perspective a bit. And I thought it was a wonderful way of 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 presenting, I suppose, a literary cultural um, imagining of Oxford that didn't have to hew completely and slavishly to its actual details. That's wonderful. It is well, it's really interesting because actually it saves you. In a way, doesn't it? It does. You, it, it, you can create whatever it That's is right. that you want. That's right. You are, after all, a fiction writer. This is in no need has to be factual. It doesn't right. have to follow mm. any emotional kind of landscape that has right. happened before. You've done it. You're you're in the well, the, the control seat. It's interesting. I read this book that's coming out in the states in the summer, or maybe it's early fall, called um, "The Book of Esther" by Emily Barton, 
and it's it's a really interesting book. What it is, it's it's about um, an imaginary Jewish uh, country called Khazaria mm. in 1942, mm. and Germany is about to attack. It's called something Germania. It's called in the book, and it's a Jewish run country, and uh, one of the um, one of the um, sort of um, diplomats' daughters um, decides she's going to save the country. And it's it's such a bold reimagining of the sort of death of European Jewry and what would have happened had World War II played out in a slightly different Good world. Way. Yeah, but it's fascinating. And it's a really, again, it's it's to everyone who says, well, we don't need another, you know, New York novel or we don't need mm. another, you know, novel about this mm. or about that. There's always a way that you can take what seems so familiar and make it different. Um, and there are many, this is not the only way to do it, obviously, but um, but it does behoove you to say something different about a place that mm. we all know. Well, it allows you to create new truths, doesn't it? Right. And, yeah, I like that. A new yeah. kind of, uh, I don't know, a roadmap of, right. of what could be. Right. Uh, in that way, that's, where, that's why we all love fiction, isn't it? That's why we mm. all read these sort of books, because we can imagine ourselves being there, but also it shows us some of the ways that we can think about male friendship or right. about the great cities of the world, or what art means, or language means. Yeah, I think you've done very well with this. I was so (laughs) uh, impressed that this huge book came to me and I read it all in a couple of days and just managed to keep going. You know, if someone had said, hey, Chris, here's a great idea for your weekend. (laughs) I've got this enormous book to read. Uh, You take it on. Don't do anything else. It's going to break your heart. Mm-hmm. It's going to smash your ideas of optimism. It's uh, just when you think... You're really pro- giving it the hard sell, Chris. I, I mean, But it was the no, language no, was really so beautiful it. and it's so mm-hmm. precise that, that well, there's in no, uh, there was no time in the novel where I actually thought, that can't be right. That can't be right because the way that you wrote it was factual. For a fiction book, you wrote this mm-hmm. most wonderful factional account of and this man's once life. you're in it you're in oh, thank it thank you and yeah. you're in it from start to end thank you. it is a very tight world like an almost claustrophobic kind uh, of experience well i do think that all novels that feel immersive are novels that were in which the world feels very complete mm. and it can be the emotional world it can be the physical world the world that the writer creates but it has to feel singular and it has to yeah. feel like it is coming from a consistent and completely realized um source and if you don't have that, if the details are vague, if the um, the conviction is is lacking, then it but, becomes boring. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree you with know. that. Mm-hmm. All right, just to finish up, yeah, because yeah. we're we're sort of yeah. reaching time now. Um, if you could just any recommendations? I know you gave just gave a great recommendation of a book that's coming out. Any other books that you've read recently that you would like to? Um, I recently shout out? read this book. I don't know if it's been published here um, by a, an American writer named Lori Ostland. It's called After the Parade, and it, oh. it actually answers similar sorts of themes as does um, as does this book, as does my book, very very differently. Um, and it's it's a study of trauma and of childhood and um, of how we um, and this the lifelong struggle to 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 move on from that and 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 to to answer that, um, which and I I really really enjoyed it. It's, it's very subtle and done very deftly. Um, and, um, oh God, I just said something else on the tip of my tongue and I'm not going to be able to remember it. 
It'll come. Um, it'll come. It will just come. As, it'll come as soon as we turn off the microphone. It will come that's, as soon that, as that, that's what happens. Yeah, that is always what happens. That's, that's exactly. always what happens. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask as my sort of final question? Yeah. When you're not writing, when mm. you're not plotting uh, more truth for us, what do you do? What do you do for good times? Well, I just quit my job two weeks ago, so <gasps> mostly I was working, um, and um, I and you know I I really love having an office job. It, it just wasn't tenable right now, but I'm going to have to go back and get one next year. Um, but I love it. You know, I love um, having structure in my life and it makes you use your time off more wisely. I love not having to worry about money. Yeah, I love, yeah. you know, which, you know, is a yeah, lot yeah. of writers, you know, you worry about, you have worry about time or you worry about money, yeah. Yeah. but I'd rather worry about time. And um, I love listening to my colleagues and, and just being around humans and human conversations and human problems. Because even if you don't, use any of it and i haven't ever it is always um good practice to listen to it mm. and and um and so i really do miss that they do say that, that novelists are all eavesdroppers yes yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you're and like spies i think you're like magpies you know yeah. you're yeah. always picking up bits and pieces and you yeah. don't sometimes realize what you're picking up until you examine it later um but um and i like to swim although oh. there's nowhere good in new york to swim it's a big problem yeah um, but you can walk yeah that's true. That's true. New York, uh, the city of the walk. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it is the city of the walk. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for coming in to thank talk to us, Thank you so Tanya. much. And thank you for all your support. I oh, really, We think you are really one of the most extraordinary so novelists of our time. Oh, and it's you. such a pleasure to have met you and be in this thank room you. with you. And Han- you so Hanya's book, A Little Life, is available in all our reading shops right now. So if you haven't read it, Get yourself out there and get a copy. I think get yeah. yourself a bottle of wine. Quite a good a good <laughs> red, I yeah. think. Get yourself a red and maybe some beautiful blue cheese, French. And set, set aside a, a couple of are days. Are you speaking from experience? I really am. <laughs> now, you need to settle down. Yeah. You need winter to make sure if you do have children, is a good out they go. Out they go. You get rid of those children and you settle mm-hmm. yourself in. You pour your first glass of wine. You put a little of that cheese on your cracker and you settle in. I think you read it in the bathtub. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see that. Like, let's say you have can a really... Can I just be a little... And just say, I don't know, the bathroom, the self-harming, it all seems a bit too... But what if you had, like, a beautiful there? Japanese cedar soaking tub? Oh, yeah. Do you okay, know you anyone that has this? Yeah. Do, you, do you know anyone that has one of these bathtubs? I do. <laughs> I, I now know one person that has one of these bathtubs. <laughs> They're life-changing. <laughs> Invest in a good bathtub, yes. then, and then buy you, a little life, no, buy the then little, the wine, buy the book then first. the cheese. Yeah. And I think it's the much bathtub. cheaper. I think go the book. That's right. Yeah. Go the book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank, Thank you. you.